Thanks. Thank you very much. Bizarrely, there's bubble wrap on the lectern. Who knew? I don't know why. There just is. If you want to come and have a look afterwards, please come and have a look. Uh, well, really good morning. Great to be with you. Uh, welcome to you if you are a visitor here. And as uh, Paul said, I got back from our youth weekend away. We've got some 70-odd teenagers and leaders away uh, up in Northampton. And just to let you know, God is doing incredible things amongst our young people. And there was just such a powerful sense of God's presence yesterday as we gathered together. And, you know, we, we've prayed for our young people for years. And I, I would say there have been certain points where we've been concerned about, God, we just want to see you moving more amongst our young people. And we're just saying before this meeting, probably for three years straight, it was one of the top things on our agenda that we would pray for regularly because we just wanted to see more breakthrough. And let me tell you, it's happening. It is happening. God is on the move amongst our teenagers in this church. And I was, I was just in bits as I was worshipping with them yesterday, uh, just looking around the room, seeing kids and young people, hands raised, tears streaming down their cheeks, totally engaged with Jesus. Um, it was just beautiful seeing uh, you know, Ed Vincent and Molly Miller and my Sam leading worship. I'm like, oh God, this is so good. I, I was literally, I was a, a weeping, snotty mess. And uh, as I'm just crying, um, George Vincent, and I know some of these names will mean nothing to you, but George Vincent, who's about this tall, came up to me and he just lays his hand on me and he's praying for me for about 15 minutes and I keep looking at him and every time I look at him I cry more and it was just, just the sense of God in the room was just palpable, it was incredible and uh, seeing young leaders kind of take the charge, guys like Owen Tuffin and others just leading so magnificently and so can I just encourage you to keep praying for our young people and also just just to say I, some of what's happening there is testament to the incredible work that's happening in our kids work you know that kids work and youth work are connected because what happens there always filters through into there and so what Nikki Stanyard and Jess Bateman and all of our kids leaders are doing week by week is building something that's going to last in the lives of our young people and, uh, you know, just to say to you, if you're a parent and you've got small children now, start praying for your kids' teenagers right now. Start caring what happens to teenagers right now. Because I tell you, when your kids are teenagers, you will care. And so it's worth praying and sowing into that right now because God, God loves the generation that's emerging among us. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive straight in uh, to the word this morning. God, we thank you so much for your presence here and uh, God, we just want to pray right now for all of our teenagers who are away. We pray this morning, Holy Spirit, rest on them, meet them, King Jesus. We pray that you would uh, call this next generation to be the most courageous generation this world has ever seen. God, we pray you do something incredible, God, amongst our children and our teenagers. God, we pray that our ceiling would become their platform. Lord, we pray they would be the next presidents and prime ministers and business leaders and artists and educators and professors of the next generation. God, we pray, Lord, do something magnificent, Lord, amongst our young people and teenagers in this church. God, we pray for them this morning. Come be with them in Jesus' name. And God, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, let it do us good. I pray you'd stir us, provoke us, and uh, speak to each and every one of us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I was... Uh, toiling and sweating over what to speak about this morning. I prepared one message, but then midnight on Friday, the Lord said, I'm going to tell you the message I really want you to speak. 
I was like, Lord, but I set aside Wednesday. Um, but anyway, so here we go. So who knows what's going to happen? And uh, if you're taking notes, um, the, the title of this message is Failure is an Option. <laughs> Failure is an option, but timidity is not. Okay, failure is an option and timidity is not. And uh, the Lord reminded me at the start of this year, just as I was beginning to pray about this year ahead, he said to me, Phil, this is going to be a year of some heroic failures. It's going to be a year of some heroic failures, which when he said it to me, I didn't find terribly encouraging, if I'm honest, because I historically have had a real aversion to failure. (laughs) And so when he said, it's going to be a year of heroic failures, I was like, okay, Lord, what do you mean? And I think the reality is, is that God wants us to have an equal commitment to both excellence, but also trial and error. Because he knows that actually only by attempting things for God do we actually grow as individuals. And by failure this morning, I'm not talking about moral failure. Okay, I'm not talking about character failure. I'm not talking about um, getting the fundamentals of life wrong in terms of the way that we behave and act and the values that we live by. But what I'm talking about is the commitment to attempt great things for God and that sometimes it won't come off first time or second time, or third time, because actually the process of growth is the process of giving things a go and seeing what happens. And unless you have a commitment to failure, you will not have a commitment to growth in your own life. And sometimes life is about heroic failures, people who attempt great things for God. And I love stories of heroic failures. I had a friend of mine who, uh, in his life, he was trying to learn how to hear God for other people um, in the streets and kind of in his workplace. And so one day he, he prayed in his bedroom, he took himself off to the park, and he's like, right, God, please give me a word of knowledge. Give me a prophetic word for someone in the park. And he, he saw a guy sitting on a park bench, and he felt God say to him, the man's name is Morris. So he thought, okay, Lord. So, uh, you know, he went and sat next to this guy on the park bench, and he just started to kind of strike up a conversation. He's like, uh, so, Morris, uh, do you come to this park very often? And the guy looked at him kind of slightly strangely, and he's like, yeah, I just I live around the corner. Yeah. He's like, great. Well, it's a lovely day, isn't it, Morris? What a lovely day. It's sun shining. Morris, isn't it a beautiful park? And the guy, again, looked at him rather strangely, and he's like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lovely day. He's like, so, uh, so, Morris, do you mind if I ask you a question? He's like, yeah, but hang on a minute. Why do you keep calling me Morris? <laughs> and he's like, well, listen, I'm a Christian. I've just been praying, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn how to hear him. I just felt God say over there as I was looking at you, the man's name is Morris. And he's like, my name's not Morris. My name's Dave. Push off. <laughs> And he kind of slunk away, you know. That's a heroic failure. I heard another story of another lady who, uh, at a large conference, a couple of thousand people, again, she was trying to push the boat out and learn how to hear God. And uh, so she, she somehow managed to get up on the stage of this massive kind of conference. And the, the guy leading the meeting, a guy called Mike Bickle, who some of you may have heard of, handed the microphone over to her. And she said, uh, <coughs> in a room of 2,000 people, I believe God is saying, there's someone in this room, and you have a headache. And at which point, Mike Bickle kind of leant over and whispered in an area, could you be a little bit more specific? And she's like, yes, yes, there's someone right at the back of the room, and you've got a headache. Oh, no, wait, wait. 
actually, you're sitting over here on the left. There's someone on the left, and you've definitely got a headache. No, wait, it's moving, it's moving. You're actually sitting in the middle of the room. Someone in the middle of the room has a headache. No, wait, it's moving again, it's moving. Someone on the right of the room has a headache. No, it's moving. Someone on the front row has a headache. No, wait, it's moving again, it's moving. And then she points at Mike Bickle, the guy leading the meeting. She says, it's you. You have a headache right now, don't you? And he looks at her and he's like, no, I really don't. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, wait, wait, it's moving, it's moving again, it's moving, it's moving, it's, it's me, it's me, I've got a headache. And then she laid hands on herself, she fell out under the power of God on the stage, and they dragged her body off the stage. That's, that's a heroic failure right there. That's someone who's attempting something for God that didn't work out very well. But listen, the reality is, if your reward only comes from success rather than obedience, then you have capped any potential for future growth in your life. If your reward only comes from successful performance rather than obedience to what you feel like God is asking you to do, then you've capped your future potential growth. You've just decided how big you can grow in God. We've got to have a commitment to try some things. Our highest reward has to be saying yes to him. I love the story of one American pastor who every year in his staff reviews, one of the staff review questions is, what have you attempted for God this year that has failed? And if one of his staff members is not able to produce an example of something that they failed in, they get demoted. <laughs> Why? Because they have a cultural value for trial and error. If we're going to innovate, if we're going to grow, we have to have a commitment to try some bold things for God. Otherwise, we're always going to stay static. Failure is an option. In fact, it's essential. It's essential. If you're going to grow, we have to grapple with, God, let me attempt things for you, even if they don't come off first time. But I tell you, what is not an option is timidity. That is not an option in our life, timidity, because now that you've been grafted into Christ, you have been given a spirit of boldness. This is what 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. Did you get that? When you got grafted into Christ, as you started to follow him, a transaction took place in your life. He removed the old spirit of fear and timidity, and instead he gave you his spirit. He gave you the spirit that lives in Christ. The same spirit that rested on Jesus now lives in you. You have been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's who you now are. That is your identity which means that our lives should be marked by courage. I think it was William Carey, the great missionary pioneer, who said this, you should expect great things of God, and you should attempt great things for God, because that's the spirit that you now have. And that's why courageous men and women are so inspiring, because it reminds you of who you really are. That's why when you hear stories of great courage, there's something in you that thinks, wow, that's amazing. Why? Because that's who you now are. You've not been given a spirit of fear. I had a story of this guy, Conrad Humphreys. He's uh, going to come up on the screen behind me. And he's a, he's a sailor. And uh, he attempted a round-the-world boat race in a one-man boat. 
And the, the, the rules of the round-the-world boat race is that you're not allowed to stop at any point in your journey, and you're not allowed any outside help. So he is in a solo craft on his own, sailing around the world. And to train for this particular event, a year in advance, he trained himself to exist on no more than 20 minutes sleep at a time. A whole year in advance, he trained himself. Every 20 minutes, he would wake himself up because he had to deal with sleep deprivation if he was going to survive this journey. And so he is in super training for this particular moment. Well, the moment comes, and he is sailing around the world, and he is in the kind of middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and he is so tired, he's hardly slept, he's battled storms, he's battled waves, and in the middle of the night, he starts to hallucinate. And in this hallucination, he dreams that Jennifer Aniston is on deck with him. There she is. And uh, he is so tired, all he wants to do is sleep. And he, and he starts to see Jennifer Aniston on the deck. And he thinks, oh, for you, Jennifer's here. I can go downstairs and get a bit of kip. And so he leaves the boat. He goes back down un- under the boat. He takes off all his clothes. He snuggles up in his blanket. And he puts his head on his pillow and he goes fast asleep. Well, he gets woken up in the middle of the night by the sound of the rigging screaming in an Atlantic gale, literally screaming. But he wakes up and he thinks, it's all right, Jennifer's on deck. (laughs) She's got it all covered. And he goes back to sleep. And again, he is woken up a couple of hours later by the sound of the mast cracking and breaking off on his boat. Suddenly he comes to himself and he runs up on deck and he has to kind of save this boat in the middle of this massive Atlantic storm. And he said apparently the the only thought that went through his head was, if I die now, they'll probably wonder why I'm naked. (laughs) He said that's the only thought that went through his head in that moment. What would they think I was doing? Anyway, he survives this moment, and and afterwards, someone said to Conrad, they said, why do you do what you do? Why do you put yourself through it? And this is what he said with a big kind of puppy grin on his face. He said, facing your fears is where the life really is. Facing your fears is where the life really is. Do you know, the reality is, if you are following Jesus, you signed up to a lifestyle of courage, because you are following the man of courage. You're following the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He is the ultimate man of courage, which means in your decision to follow him, you sign up to a lifestyle of facing your fears and courageously attempting things for God. You are not looking very excited. Some of you are looking very afraid at me even mentioning this. But listen, I'm telling you the truth. You were made for a courageous lifestyle. A friend of mine, uh, Shola, was out on the streets of Newcastle one Saturday afternoon, and he was with a bunch of guys. They'd been praying for the sick for a couple of hours, and some teenagers had been kind of loitering on the edge of watching what they were doing. And as they were packing up their things, two teenagers came over to my friend, and they said, uh, Why, hey, man, what you doing, Lake? What's going on, pet? That's a Geordie accent, by the way. And... Uh, and he said, well, we're, just, we're praying for the sick, we're Christians, and we believe that Jesus is alive and that he heals. He said, is there anything wrong with either of you? And one of these teenagers said, well, he said, I've got something funny with my thumbs. He's like, well, what's wrong with your thumbs? He said, well, I've got no ligaments in either of my thumbs. And he proceeded to bend both of his thumbs right back, so they touched the rest of his hand. 
And so I don't know what you would do in that moment, but because my friend Shola understands who he is and the kind of man that he was made to be, he said, right, well, let's pray for you, but why don't you gather in all of your other friends so they can watch what God's about to do? And so they gather in, seven of their friends in. So there's now nine of them in a semicircle. My friend says, Jesus is alive. Watch what he's about to do. Give me your right hand. So the teenager gives him his right hand. He says, Jesus, in your name, grow a ligament now. He says, right, test your thumb out. And so he goes to test his thumb out, and he can't bend it back. And his jaw drops open. He starts to swear his head off. And he's like, what did you just do to me? You're a magician. What is this? And he's trying, and he's trying. He's like, pray for the other one. Pray for the other one. So he prays for the other one. Again, a ligament gets grown instantly as he prays for it. And so all of his, his mates are like, just don't know where to put this. And so my friend's like, right, who else wants to experience Jesus right now? And they're like, yeah, okay. So he's like, well, lift your hands like this. Just close your eyes where you are. I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit comes and fills you right now. Begins to pray and just the kingdom starts to break out amongst this group of teenagers. Tell you, you are made to face your fears. Facing your fears is where the life really is. Thank you. <laughs> And so what I'm going to do is I want to look at just a few areas in which our courage can grow because this is the life that we were made for. And we're just going to use the story of Joshua as just a little bit of a launch pad for learning just a few lessons about courage. Joshua, for those of you that don't know, was the young leader who took the leadership of the Israelite nation on from Moses. And uh, Joshua was living with this promise from God that his nation, the Israelite nation, was going to enter the promised land. The trouble was that between them and the promised land were a bunch of giants and armies and a big wall called Jericho. And one of the things that Joshua needed to learn very quickly was to live a life of courage. And the first area in which we see this courage taking place is in his courage to say yes to God. To say yes to God. Joshua and some spies are sent into the land to spy out what it's like. Most of the guys that go in to spy come back absolutely petrified. They're like, these guys are like giants. I mean, they are, they are huge. We, we, we're never going to take these guys. It's going to end badly for us. But two of the guys, Caleb and Joshua, come back and they say this in Numbers 14.6. Joshua and Caleb who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Essentially, they look at the obstacles, but they come back and they say yes to God. They're like, yep, we're up for it. Let's do it. Let's do this thing. Let's give it a go. That's the spirit that they're living with. And one of the signs that you are growing in God is that your yes is getting bigger than your no. Just take the temperature of your life right now and ask yourself honestly, is your yes to God getting bigger than your no? Let me give you a big fat for example. When people challenge you about maybe giving financially, is your yes getting bigger or your no? When people challenge you about 
living a lifestyle of forgiveness towards those who've hurt you? Is your yes getting bigger? Yes, God, I want to forgive those who've hurt me, even if I think they don't deserve it. Is that yes getting bigger than you than the no? When you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to speak to a colleague at work, is that yes in you getting bigger? Or is your no still dominating? It's one of the signs, actually, of spiritual health and spiritual growth. Is your yes getting bigger? I love the story of William Booth, who is the founder of the Salvation Army. And uh, William Booth is an incredible pioneer. Here's his picture. He had a a beard to die for, by the way. Look at that beard. And uh, he was an incredible, radical man of God, set up the Salvation Army, which was an incredibly effective missions organization, uh, uh, helping the poor, particularly in London. And their success was so great that one day Queen Victoria said, "Um, Mr. Booth, come and visit me at the palace. I want to know the secret to your success. And she sent to him her own carriage to take him to Buckingham Palace. But he refused to take it because he said, if the poor can't travel in the carriage, neither will I. And so he made the walk from inner city London to Buckingham Palace. He was two hours late to see the Queen. Because on along the way, he kept meeting people that were poor and that needed care and prayer. So he arrives at the palace two hours late to see Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria looks him in the eye and says, Mr. Booth, what is the secret of your success? At which point he pulls out some chalk from his pocket and he draws a circle on the floor of the palace. And he steps inside the circle and he says, Dear Queen, the secret of my success is this. Everything inside this circle belongs wholly to God. Love that story. How much of you is inside that circle? How much of you is in there? Do you have one leg out and one leg in? Is your yes growing? Is that sense of, God, I am wholly yours. Even if you want me to bring a word about a headache at a conference and I look like an absolute idiot, is my yes growing? Is my ability to stake my reputation just because I want to say yes to you growing? I tell you, the moment that your reputation becomes more important to you than saying yes is the moment where you stop growing in your life. What's more important to you? The reality is sometimes the more mature you get, the more you've got to lose. And it's often at those moments you think, I can't afford to take a risk. I can't afford to look like an idiot. I can't afford to try something that doesn't pull off because what will people say about me? Tell you, when you've made that decision, you've decided what your ceiling is going to be. Is your yes growing? And the reality is this, that people of courage are not those that don't experience anxiety or fear or panic. Courage is not an emotion. Courage is not an emotion. Courage is a decision. People who who are courageous and who try things for God are not immune to feeling anxiety and feelings of fear. It's just that they've decided there is something more important than my feeling of fear. What's more important to me is saying yes to him. That's more important. I've been reading again the story of Jackie Pullinger, who's an incredible woman of courage and faith who at 22 years old, decided that she wanted to spend her life in missions overseas, caring for the poor and preaching the gospel. She went to all the missions organizations that she knew in this country, and none of them would support her. None of them would send her. A, because she was a woman. B, because she was too young. And C, because they thought it was a terrible idea. 
But she said, God, but God's called me to go. He, he's, he's telling me to go to the nations. In the end, what she did is she spent all the money that she had to buy a boat ticket that would go around the world. She got on that boat and she decided that she would get off the boat when the Holy Spirit said, this is the place, get out and preach the gospel. 22-year-old single lady. The boat arrives at Hong Kong. The Holy Spirit says, this is the place. She steps off the boat in Hong Kong. She knows nobody. She has $10 in her pocket. What do you do? And Jackie started this incredible ministry in what was then called the Walled City in Kowloon, which was the biggest opium-producing den in the world. It was a place that the armed police wouldn't even go in because it was so dangerous, and it was run by the triad criminal gangs. And yet she went in and began to exude the love of Christ, care for the prostitutes, care for the drug addicts, see the gospel begin to make an impact in there. And even our very own project here is a result of that woman's faith. What's happening with the poor in Bedford right now got birthed out of that 22-year-old woman who decided to say yes to God. And he said, actually, there is something more important to thee than my feelings of fear. I want to please him. I want to please him. Is your yes growing? Secondly, courageous people break barriers. Courageous people break barriers. Here's what we read in the next bit of the story. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast in the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Do you know, to get someone where the Joshua had never been, he had to do something that had never been done. And courageous people live with this mindset of, I am made to break through barriers. I'm made to break through things that had never been done before. And for Joshua, his calling was to step into completely uncharted waters. And God's plan really didn't sound very promising on the face of it. Joshua, here's the plan. You're going to break into this massive fortified city with a huge army behind it. Here's the strategy. March around the wall for six days and then blow your trumpets. Got it? Now, I don't know if you heard those instructions, but, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to bash down a wall with a trumpet, but that's pretty difficult. And the reality was to, to, to get through to the other side, to break through uncharted territory, Joshua had to be willing to do something and try something that had never been tried before. Something had to shift in his mindset and his understanding and his thoughts. He had to understand, actually, I am signed up to do the impossible. That's who I am. People of courage understand that actually current obstacles are not the end of the story because I'm called to the impossible. I'm called to believe him, to do something that's only possible unless he shows up. Let me ask you right now, what are you doing in your life that is doomed to failure unless he shows up? 
What are you doing in your life that's doomed to failure unless he shows up? Because you were made to break barriers. And so often it's unresolved fear that stops us from innovating because we're afraid we'll get rejected if we try something new. So often that's why we have an aversion to failure. That's why I've had an aversion to failure so often in my life. It's because I've been afraid if I fail, then I'll get rejected for failing. And so what happens is you stop innovating, you stop trying. And history is actually full of experts who stop breaking barriers because of fear, because they, they lost the mindset of we're called to break through to the other side. Here's an example. A Western Union internal memo about the telephone in 1876 said this. The telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Dr. LaFrost, who was the father of radio, said this. Man will never reach the moon regardless of all future scientific advances. Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM Computers in 1943, said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. Decca Records, who rejected the Beatles in 1962, says, We don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. Ouch. <laughs> Uh, the professor of strategy in France said this, airplanes are interesting toys but are of no military value. Do you know, at every point that someone is trying to break a barrier, there is always an expert speaking in your ear saying it cannot be done. That will always happen. At every point in your life that you think, I I I've got a Jericho wall to get through, I've got some giants to break through, there will always be another voice in your ear saying, I'll give up, that's ridiculous, that'll never happen, that'll never come off. That voice will always be there at the same time. Another great moment in history is the, uh, when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. In uh, 1954, he was the first man ever recorded to run a mile in under four minutes. And previous to that point, every scientist and physiologist and athlete said, it is humanly, physically impossible for the human body to run a mile in under four minutes. It's impossible physiologically. It cannot be done scientifically. Well, Roger Bannister proved them wrong. <laughs> On May the 6th, 1954, when he broke the four-minute mile. Here's the amazing thing. Within six weeks, another man also broke the four-minute mile. Within three years, 16 other people had broken the four-minute mile. What does that tell you? It tells you this, that impossibility often does not exist out here. It exists in here. The shift that needs to happen is a mindset. So often it's our mindsets that limit what is possible in our life because we think, we believe the lie, it can't be done. That Jericho wall, we can't get through that. It's impossible. They're giants in the land. Who are we? The impossibility exists between our ears, folks. And that's why Scripture says that we, we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that our thoughts begin to resemble God's thoughts about this planet. Do you know when God thinks about this planet, he thinks anything is possible. Anything is possible. And if you would get hold of the fact that God is great and I belong to him, suddenly the Jericho wall doesn't look very impressive anymore. The reality is, if you're going to live a life of courage, you've got to get more impressed with someone than yourself. Do you know that the, one of the flip sides of talking about identity is sometimes we can look at ourselves more than we're looking at him. So the reality is you only understand your identity if you understand him first. 
because you see yourself in his image. You're made in his image, which means that the best way to live a courageous life is not to look down here, but it's to look up here and get impressed with someone else more than you're impressed with yourself. Only then we'd be able to look at Jericho walls and think, that thing is coming down. Because I know the one that I serve. I know what he's like. I know what he's capable of. That means that you can look at your life and think, do you know what? I could achieve something great for God in my lifetime. I could do something that's never been done before. I could live my life in such a way that it's going to impact the political arena in a major way. I could live my life in a way that actually arts is going to be majorly affected by my life. I can live in such a way that my workplace is going to get transformed just because I'm in it and I know the one that I'm serving. Actually, this town could become a hotbed of revival. It could become a sign and a wonder to the rest of the nation. People who start to remove the impossibility between their ears begin to suddenly see the possibilities. Don't you want to be a people like that? A courageous people who actually say yes to God but also think we're made to break barriers. That's just who we are now. And most people never cross into their promised lands because they allow fear to dictate the boundaries of their future. Most people never cross into their promised land. See, many of you have got incredible promises over your life. What will stop you crossing into the promises is allowing your fears to dictate the boundaries of your future. Very often what we do is we begin to accommodate the giants because we think they're too big to overcome and then we mistake the silence for peace. So the only place of peace is living a life of courage that you were made to live because facing your fears is where the life really is. So what does that look like for you? What are the barriers that God is calling you to break through? What are the barriers he's calling us to break through as a people? And you know, sometimes we mistake the fact that I am going through a difficult season in my life right now with the fact that God has left the building somehow. So the reality is you need giants to conquer in your life because you are called to be someone who turns tragedies into triumphs. You're following the ultimate example of that in Jesus. He is the one who ultimately turns the, the, the seeming tragedy of the cross where seemingly God had abandoned him and disappeared and yet Jesus transforms that tragedy into a triumph. That's who you are. You need giants to conquer. In fact, Jesus said this, in this life you will have many troubles. I'm really sorry to give you that news this morning. In this life you will have many troubles. To follow Jesus is not a sign up to health, wealth, and prosperity. In this life, you will have many troubles. But listen, you are put into troubles so that you can transform troubles into triumphs because of the one that's with you in the midst of the difficulty. And what some of us do when we walk through difficulty, we say, well, God's left. Where's God? Where's he gone? And we throw in our faith. We throw in a towel. And we think, well, he's disappeared. I'm off. Let me tell you, God is as much with you in the difficulty and the trial. And in those moments are moments of accelerated growth if you will learn to worship him in the midst of the difficulty. You need giants to conquer. Because that's who you are. The reality is you grow much more rapidly in seasons of trials than you do in seasons of prosperity. There's something about trusting him in the midst of the trials that when you come out the other side, you think, I am so much bigger than when I went in. You were made to break barriers. And then lastly, courage flows from someone. We haven't got time to read it, but ultimately Joshua's courage before they break through the Jericho wall 
he has an encounter with Jesus, where Jesus shows up as the army of the commanders of the Lord, and Joshua falls face down before him in reverence. And the truth is that Joshua's courage didn't flow from something, it flowed from someone. It flowed from an encounter with someone, an encounter that brought the presence of courage into his life. His courage didn't come through a self-help manual. It came through an encounter with a God of glory, where suddenly he was more afraid of him than he was by everybody else. So are you living in a holy fear and reverence of him more than your fear of man? Scripture says that the, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom, which means that the fear of man is the beginning of all kinds of foolishness. Live your life in such a way to please him, to fear him, to live a life of reverence for him, because courage flows from someone. It flows from your connection to him. Let me just finish by this. This is a very famous quote by... Theodore Roosevelt, and he said this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat." Let me tell you, don't be a critic who sits on the sidelines. Be someone who's in the arena. Live your life. Don't get to the end of your life and look back and think, I wish I tried that for Jesus. Do it now. Live your life. Seize the moment. Seize your moment. In 20 years' time, don't look back and think, I wish I'd said yes to Jesus more. Do it now. Do it today. Who's going to be the next Jackie Pullinger? Who's going to be the next William Booth who stands in front of the future King of England and tells him the secret of your success? Who's going to be the next Conrad Humphreys? Who's, who's going to be these guys, these men and women of faith who broke barriers and who said yes to Jesus? Let's make it a year of some heroic failures and maybe also some heroic successes.